But we don't only need unity. We need unity in Christ. Hey, this is Taylor, and welcome back to Elevate Retake. We want you to experience faith as the continual everyday process of learning more about the Bible, ourselves, and God. And we believe that this podcast will be just what you need to come to a closer relationship with God. Today on our podcast, we have Eliangel Fermin, who is a pastoral intern at Keene Church. The title of this episode is Jesus and the Beloved Brood of Vipers. Your engaged question is, can we seek Jesus together? A key passage we will be taking a look at is found in John 3, verse 17, and it reads, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. A key theme we will be taking a look at is our differences should not compel us to hate, but to love. Jesus and his beloved brood of vipers. Sounds weird, right? It is a contrast between Jesus and brood of vipers, and in the middle of that, there is the word beloved. It has to do with love. That relationship that Jesus and all that it implies, and the relationship that it has with brood of vipers, that by the way, these are not my words, this is in the Bible. And two of the times that the, the Bible uses this term, is Jesus himself saying that to a group, of, a group of people. He said, you brood of vipers. And then John the Baptist also says that. So we're going to study a little bit more about the meaning of the names. I don't know if you have asked yourself, uh, why do we name? Or why do we need to put names on things? And if we go back to the Bible in the creation narrative, we see that at the beginning... God was the one, the first one, in putting names. When he created everything, he said, this is the first day, and he created the dry land, and then he starts putting names to everything that he's creating. And then not only that, he gives man the opportunity to also put names. It says, you put the names to all the animals of the earth, and then that sense of putting names gives us a sense of dominion, authority, that we are in control. If we don't know uh, what are we talking about? If we don't have a name for that, it gives us a sense of that's foreign for us, and we need to understand this better. And when we put a name, it's kind of we're understanding that. So when we understand, or we, when we study semiotics, I don't know if you have heard about that term, is the meaning of the symbols. We use a symbol, and that symbol implies something totally uh, different. If I say, for example, uh, I have a microphone here, but if I say I have a car here, then car will represent this that I'm pointing to with my finger. So the process of naming is a process that we all do eventually because that's something that God did when we were created. The process of naming is the first one, identity. It gives identity. As you see in the screen, you see that, for example, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that's a name. Why did we need a name? Couldn't we, we just another movement? We need a name because a name portrays what we believe and what do we mean when we want to create a new religion per se. So we have a name and then we classify it. We, we say, what does religion or what this religion has different in comparison with the other religions that we have? And then we see that the process of, of naming helps us to classify it and then we say, yes, uh, Seventh-day Adventists are a religion. 
But also, in order to distinguish the Seventh-day Adventists with other religions, we need to understand what we have something different. I put just one example. We keep this, the Shabbat on Saturday. I know some other religions keep the Shabbat on Saturday too, but most of them keep them on Sunday. So that's a difference that we have, a main difference that we have with most of the mainstream religions. Also, we compare why or we try to compare this new name or this new religion with the other, the other religions that already existed and say like, okay, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that we need to keep the Shabbat and the Shabbat is on Saturday. Probably they are more faithful to the commandments. And by that, we make a comparison and then we select. If they're more faithful to the Bible, then I want to be faithful to the Bible. And then we say, okay, this is the true church. And then after we select that, we tame it and say, this is my religion, this is my church, I belong to it, and it belongs to me. Now I have the opportunity to be part of this uh, group of people. It has something implied in my mind. It's not only just a religion, it's my religion, and I have a lot of stories, a lot of good people that I have met in that place where I go to gather and, and worship together. Suzanne Diggis White, She's a doctor and she wrote something that is very interesting. And this work with marketing and with many, many things. Naming a possession not only indicates affection, but also triggers further bonding with that object. Consider the fact that people who raise animals for food rarely name their animals. The act of naming cements psychological ownership. The feeling that something is yours. That's what the brands, the big brands use, for example, if you have an iPhone, you don't say, oh, my, my, my iPhone or something like that. My iPhone is different than the iPhone. But also, it has Siri on it. So when you talk to Siri, you, you don't say iPhone or, or cell phone, answer it. No, you say Siri. Or you say Alexa. Or you say that property of the naming of the things makes it more personal and makes it look like we are having a communication, a true communication with an object which is an object, basically. So the fact that we have the opportunity to uh, name things gives us a sense of dominion, authority, but also implies some connotation, the use of words that we use. For example, there is a difference between saying that a person is very strict or very rigid or probably very radical in his beliefs instead of saying this person is very committed and faithful to his beliefs. The words that we use imply one meaning, and it shows what we think of, of that person. If we say faithful, probably something that I admire. I admire this person because probably I want to be like that person, but I don't have that opportunity because uh, I am not that faithful. But if I say that person is too strict or too radical, then I may imply something negative. I don't think that's good. That's probably too much. I need to, to not be like that. So we may talk about the same person in two different ways, and the words, the words that we use make a difference in the way we understand reality, the way we understand the world, and the way we understand also the word of God. So coming back with naming, I'm going to introduce to you two different groups. And I want you to put a name on the first group. The first group wanted to stay pure. It was back in the time it was in the temple, in the, in the church of God, in the people of God. They wanted to stay pure. They called themselves the, the separate ones because they didn't want to be part of the rest. They revolted against secular influences within the church. There were some 
some group of people that wanted to be pure and they tried to do the best that they could in order to clean every uh, worldly things that were creeping into the church. This group used to love doctrinal and theological debates. Probably they weren't, they weren't that involved in politi politics, but they had a lot of interested in, interested in doctrinal and theological debates. They will not associate with a person with a bad reputation. Why? Because I don't want them to think that I am like that too. So I just prefer to keep myself away from these type of people. They believe in the supernatural personal experiences and also in the prophets. So if they will be alive today, they will believe in Ellen White probably. They were expert law keepers. Do you know who I'm talking about? Do you have an idea? Pharisees. Back in the time, they rose with an attitude of, I want to, we want to make everything clean, pure, pure, and we need to go back to the root, to the law. And they created all those rules that, in a sense, were trying to protect the law of God, but they went a little bit too extreme. In the other side, we have this other group. And this other group has different characteristics, but it's also part of the same people of God. They had money and influence in the affairs of the church. They were concerned with social justice and supported social and political movements. They were in the elite movements. When, when they were related with the Roman Empire, they were just having some relationships and they involved religion and politics all together trying to bring good for they, their people. They were the fifth or sixth generation of church members and leaders. So they had a tradition. They were called the pioneers because they had a lot of influence. They were, had a lot of uh, weight because of how long they have been part of the people of God and they, they, they will be involved in leadership. They did not believe in the prophets. They only believed in the law. Probably they wouldn't believe in Ellen White today. They would say, just stick to the Bible. We don't need anything more. Just stick to the Bible. They allowed Hellenistic thought to permeate the study of the scriptures. That means that instead of just uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my mind as I read through the Bible, probably... Uh, we need to study a little bit with some techniques that we draw from the Greeks. That means that the hermeneutics principles and the, the, the original Greek and Hebrew, all of, all of that was implied in this type of uh, people that were very studied, very academic, but also they lack of the Holy Spirit's influence in the way, in the way they understand their stuff. So one, one of the things that I want to point out is that in this place, Acts 23, 6 to 10, we see that there is an issue because both of them were part of the people of God. Both of them were trying good with all their hearts to be uh, good, faithful servants, but at the same time, they had an issue. They had an issue with, 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 within themselves. Some of them were like, okay, the Pharisees, they did not believe in resurrection. They believe in resurrection, I'm sorry, but they, don't, they did not believe in the immortality of the soul. The Sadducees, on the other hand, they didn't believe in resurrection, but they believe they didn't believe in the mortality of the soul. So they had it half and half, each one. But then when it comes to judging Paul in the Sanhedrin, they invited Paul, and you can look at in the Bible, and Paul was preaching about Jesus resurrected. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, he's preaching about that. And Paul, knowing that because he was a Pharisee, he said, well, you are judging me because of the resurrection. And I am a Pharisee, and I believe in resurrection. Once he said that, everybody in the Sanhedrin started fighting against each other because some Sadducees, they didn't believe in resurrection, and some other Pharisees, they did believe in resurrection. So they started the fight, and they lost 
Paul. <laughs> if they wanted to get Paul in prison or killed or something like that, but because their big fight, it says that the Roman soldier took him out of a crowd because they were about to like destroy him and then save him, put him in a safe spot. It made me think about, the, about this. When Jesus was being judged, was the only time in the Bible that it shows that Sadducees and Pharisees were working together. They have differences. They have theological differences. They have doctrinal differences. But because they had a common enemy, they were willing to work together, sadly, for the worst cause, because they were crucifying the Son of God. But sometimes, that is what we need in the church. But we don't only need unity. We need unity in Christ. Because unity without Christ may lead us in the wrong path. Also, not only unity, but also if we don't work together, probably we're going to have problems like they had with Paul. When they saw that even though he was preaching the Jesus that they some years ago crucified, now the Pharisees were willing to defend Paul's cause because that was better for the, their theological understanding of the scriptures. It is irrational. And that is what sometimes pride makes us do. Pride is, is funny because sometimes I want to win an argument and I prefer to use any argument possible even though that's against what I did in the past in order to win the argument against the Sadducees instead of accepting Jesus as my personal savior, which was, uh, that was what Paul was preaching. The spirit of prophecy says, in uh, the Bible commentary, the Pharisees were very strict in regard to the outward appearance of form and customs, and were filled with haughty, worldly, hypocritical self-righteousness. The Sadducees denied the resurrection of the dead and the existence of angels, and were skeptical in regards to God. This sect was largely composed of unworthy characters, many of whom were licentious in their habits by the word vipers, John meant those who were malignant and antagonistic, bitterly opposed to the express will of God. This is what Ellen White said, and basically the usage of the word vipers in this context shows or represents what they were. And the point why I'm bringing these two terms, Sadducees and Pharisees, is because we may say that the Pharisees and Sadducees are the modern conservatives and liberals within the church. Because God didn't put a label on Christianity. God didn't put a label and say, okay, you are different, you are conservative, that implies that you believe all of this, then I don't agree with that, I may look like that as my enemy, or probably I don't agree with that, or you are liberal and I don't agree with your idea, and then there is a division because of the terms that we use to define ourselves. But the, real, the reality is that God makes disciples. And all the disciples follow Jesus. They don't follow an ideology. They don't follow uh, some doctrinal issues, which I think doctrine is good, is, is necessary to do. Sometimes we argue in, in, in little things. I just want to share a, a story. This is fictitious, and this has to do with another religion, but I'm just going to bring it back to the church. Well, there was this man that was in the almost in the bridge, almost about to throw himself down to the water to kill, to end his life. And when he was in that situation, another man saw him and said, hey, 
what are you doing, man? And the man was like, I don't, I, I, I just don't want to live anymore. And he was like, but why? Life is so beautiful. Yeah, but I, do you believe in God? And the guy was right there and like, yes, I do believe in God. And then, oh, that's amazing. Me too. Like, do you believe in the Bible God, like the Christian God or, or any other God? I'm a Christian. Oh, me too. I'm a Christian too. And then the guy keep approaching the, the other guy that was about to throw himself closely, slowly, getting closer to him and asking, and, and what religion are you? And he was like, I'm, I'm Seventh-day Adventist. Me too. Like, we're brothers. And then they keep approaching each other. And then like, do you, do you believe in, in Ellen White? Yes, I believe. In, me too. Like, wow, we, we have so much in common. And then he keeps getting closer to that person and says, like, do you eat meat? Um, no, 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 I'm vegetarian. Me too. Amen. And then he keeps getting closer to that person. And then all of a sudden he says, um, and do you believe in woman's ordination? And then he says, like, yes, why not? Die, heretic. Boom. And pushes the guy towards the bridge. But it could happen the other way around, right? <laughs> the point is this. Sometimes we filter the mosquito and we swallow the camel. Sometimes we are so focused in the little difference that are not pivotal for the advance of a church and we start arguing and arguing when in real life what we need is just a closer connection with Jesus Christ and do the big work that he called us all to do. And for that, we don't need to put a name and labels and division. We just need to work together as family. That's what we are. And when we understand this concept, everything works easier. Like here, there is no one side that believes this way related to something. Yes, we're free to believe whatever. But when it comes to working for the Lord, it's not what I believe, it's what God believes. And that makes a whole difference. That makes the whole, uh, the whole gospel is that. We need to work united with God. Jesus pointed that in Matthew 23, verse 3 and 4 and verse 24. He says that to the disciples, don't do as they do, but do as they say. Basically, they were teaching the good things, but they were imposing some rules, and they were not doing anything that they were saying. They were just Pharisees and scribes, and they were just following their own laws because they were seeking their own uh, righteousness, the self-righteousness that is pointless because we try to be better and better and better and we impose some burdens on other people but in real life that's we know that, that our words are like filthy garments like there is nothing that we can do that can make us look pure before God's eyes so we just need Jesus in our life working every day and when we feel that grace when we experience that love and mercy that he has for us in that moment, we understand that everything that we are and everything that we have is because of him and not because of us. And understanding that will help us love more. All our brothers that are struggling with different things that are not my struggles, but we can each other have compassion and mercy towards each other. Now, there is a third group that I want to share with you all. This group... Instead of revolting against the enemies, they pray for them. Instead of saying, okay, they are growing this, they just pray for them. 
Instead of imposing difficult burdens, freedom was preached to the captive of sin. Instead of seeking for heavenly or for earthly rewards, they were seeking for heavenly rewards. They were seeking for eternal life. And that's why they have a heavenly nationality. Of course, they need to be involved in human, uh, human things that we need to deal here on earth. But the most important thing was heaven and where we are all going to be by God's grace. They will call sinners to repentance without fear, with love and compassion. The bad thing of this group is that both of other groups, Sadducees and Pharisees, they tried to attack this third group. They were discredited through personal attacks on its leader. We know that they called Jesus son of fornication because they didn't believe in the Holy Spirit and the whole story of that God was uh, begotten by the Holy Spirit by God. They were classified as sinners by the religious leaders because they used to spend time with drinkers and sinners and Republicans. And, and that's, that's kind of the way they, they were living. They were considered outside the law because they didn't keep the Shabbat according to their understanding. They were accused of working without authorization because uh, none of the religious institutions uh, supported Jesus' ministry officially. The leader was accused of blasphemy. So all of these type of attacks, this third group is going to suffer because it's not partial with any of the two other first groups. And now the answer of Jesus is, you brood of vipers. And at the first glance, I was like, why is that so harsh on them? Why, why did Jesus call them brood of vipers? And I'm going to read some text that will explain a little bit more what he meant by that. The first one, before reading that, I just want to say that in the Bible, there are three times that Jesus speaks about that. One is in Matthew 3, 7. Luke 3, 7 is a parallel text. And in that text, he says that, in Matthew, it says that Sadducees and Pharisees were coming to Jesus, uh, to John, I'm sorry, to John, and they came to him to be baptized. And John said, you brood of vipers. In Luke 3, 7, he says that the crowd, instead of Sadducees and Pharisees, the crowd received that, you brood of vipers. The Pharisees, even though they received that harsh admonition, they humbled themselves and they were willing to be baptized. In that same group, there were some Roman soldiers. There were some uh, publicans, people that were sinners, that were uh, stealers. And they tried their best to come to Jesus, even though their, their, their rebuke was harsh because he called them brutal vipers. But when we understand the context of the Bible, we see that brutal vipers refers to descendants of the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, we see a connection with that because there is the seed of a woman, which is Jesus Christ, and we see the seed of a serpent, which is all of those who don't do the work of God. And we understand that in John 4, 8.44, Jesus called the Sadducees and Pharisees, like, you do the works of your father, the devil. That means that they weren't doing what God asked them to do, but they were doing the evil thing. Now, did Jesus have love for them? Absolutely. Jesus loved them so much. Jesus loved them so much that even in the midst of all the things that they were doing against him, he just loved them. And that rebuke, he didn't do like, you brutal vipers. He was with tears in his eyes. And how do we know that? 
the spirit of prophecy, clarifies a little bit more about this. He says, in the special deceptive reasoning of the priests and rules, he discerned the working of satanic agencies. He wasn't going against them. He was going against the enemy because we know that we don't have any war against humans, but against spiritual forces. Keen and searching had been his denunciation of sin, but he spoke no word of retaliation. He had a holy wrath against the prince of darkness, but he manifested no irritated temper. So the Christians who live in harmony with God, possessing the sweet attributes of love and mercy, will feel a righteous indignation against sin. But he will not be roused by passion to revile those who revile him. Even in meeting those who are moved by a power from beneath to maintain false falsehood, in Christ he will still preserve calmness and self-possession. That is the example that Jesus gave us all. And if we are his disciples, we should follow that example. Also, divine pity marked the countenance of the Son of God as he, as he cast one lingering look upon the temple and then upon his hearers. In a voice choked by deep anguish and heart and bitter tears, he exclaimed, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophet and stonest the them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, and ye will not. This is a separation struggle. In the lamentation of Christ, the very heart of God is pouring itself forth. It is the mystery, farewell of the long-suffering love of the deity. Long-suffering love of the deity. He had mercy. He had pity for them because they rejected him. They killed the prophets that he sent prior to him, and they were rejecting the Son of God. If he had love for those heretics, if he had love for those who did, weren't following God's standard, shouldn't we have love for anybody who we think they are going in the wrong path? Shouldn't we just go for them and show them the love and say, okay, let's work together. Let's, let's try to, to fix this, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. When we understand this, we understand that Jesus breaks all tradition. And when he came to this earth, he didn't come to condemn anybody, but to save us. And if we are his disciples, we need to do the same task. Instead of condemning, even though we may have reasons, instead of condemning, we need to do the same thing that Jesus did. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In Jesus Christ, we find the hope. In Jesus Christ, we find the restoration. In Jesus Christ, we understand that instead of all those formal sacrifices, he just needs mercy. He just needs compassion. In Jesus Christ, instead of taking our time in big theological debates that profit nothing, we should focus on getting the lost one out there, the perishing souls, and bringing back bringing them back to Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we, we forget about our differences and we work together because the same love that he had for his people, we should have also. In Jesus Christ, we focus not only in the physical health, but also in the eternal life, which is, I think, the goal of every Christian should be getting to know Jesus in person, face to face, and have the opportunity to have the everlasting life. The first tendency that we have when somebody is against us is always uh, arguing. But when we remember that God 
has a plan for us. In that moment, we understand that he has a beautiful message for everybody in this place. The last question is, can we see Jesus together? When you find somebody that is going through something, probably that doesn't have the same views that you have, are you willing to humble yourself and ask, can we seek Jesus together? It is so cool how we are all unique and different in many ways. I love how encouraged I am to praise and love what makes us as God's children different from one another. I want to encourage you today to show Jesus's love and compassion to everyone that you meet. I also want to remind you to tune in later this week for our retake conversation. Well, I will be sitting down with Pastor Michael and Elian Hell, and you will not want to miss it. Thanks for tuning in and see you later this week. Thank you for listening. Elevate Retake is recorded weekly at Elevate, a community fellowship of Keene Church. Our audio is captured by Blake Snyder. Sound design and editing are done by Shane Miosi and Inspire Productions. Executive producers are Michael Gibson and Jonathan Coker. Our host is Taylor Weaver. Our team includes Evelyn Alanis, Candice McCormick, Simu Siologa, Alicia Galvan, Emily Weaver, Zandria Andrade, Megan Metzner, and AJ Adams. Special thanks to 88.3 KJRN and the Keen Church Media Team. You can find Elevate on Instagram at thisiselevatetx. For more about Elevate Community Fellowship, visit thisiselevate.org. Currently, our services are live streamed every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time at thisiselevate.org forward slash live. We'd love to have you join us. There's always room for one more.